repeat it after me. John. My name is Tim Lemire, and I love the Beatles. I also love language. I'm a writer, editor, and author, so language is my livelihood. Why not put the two together for a podcast where I use the Beatles music to talk about the English language? This is the Beatles English. Episode 3. For the benefit of Mr. Cat. Iced water. Being for the benefit of Mr. Kite. When John Lennon and Paul McCartney are contrasted as songwriters, Paul is usually depicted as the creator of character-driven songs, such as Penny Lane, Eleanor Rigby, Maxwell Silver Hammer, Rocky Raccoon, and others, while John is said to be more of a first-person I songwriter. Help, in my life, I am the walrus, and so on. That characterization, I think, is largely accurate, but not entirely true. Many of John's songs are peopled with colorful characters. Mean Mr. Mustard, Bungalow Bill, Lucy in the Sky, Dr. Robert, The Nowhere Man, the figure Old Flat Top in Come Together, and one of my favorites from the song Happiness is a Warm Gun, the girl described with one of John Lennon's most bewitching couplets. She's well acquainted with the touch of the velvet hand, like a lizard on a window pane. And of course, there's Mr. Kite. Being for the benefit of Mr. Kite, exclamation point, is the concluding song on side one of the Beatles' 1967 album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which was released in the United Kingdom on May 26, 1967. Now, only a couple of months before... In February 1967, the album was as yet unfinished. On February 6th, all four Beatles were in a town called Seven Oaks in Kent County, England, filming the promotional videos for Penny Lane and Strawberry Fields Forever. John came upon an antique shop and something caught his eye. A poster advertising an acrobatic performance taking place on February 14, 1843, by the Pablo Fanks Circus Royale, and its two star performers, Mr. Henderson and Mr. Kite. John bought the poster and was so taken by it that he, perhaps with a little help from Paul, wrote a song for the Beatles' upcoming album. Now, if you go online and do a search for Mr. Kite Poster, you can find reproductions of the poster that John purchased that day in 1967. And you'll see that many of the lyrics are taken from the poster, a lot of them word for word. You know, it's an interesting thing about words and songs. When we hear a song we like, we want to know the words so that we can sing along, or perhaps even play or perform the song ourselves. But sometimes, even when we know the lyrics, we may sing the words unconsciously. That is, we sing without stopping to wonder what certain words mean or where some words even come from. For example, we can understand why a circus performer would be called Mr. Kite 
because we picture a kite on a string flying through the air like an acrobat. And a kite conjures memories of childhood, innocence, and play. But why is a kite called a kite? This is where etymology, the origin and history of words and their evolution, opens up a field of discovery. The word kite has its origins in Old English, that is, the language of the Anglo-Saxon people, up to about the year 1150. Old English, like the Anglo-Saxons themselves, has elements of German in it, so kite is related to the Old English word kita, C-Y-T-A, and the German word cows, K-A-U-Z, which means screech owl. Well, that's interesting, but how does that relate to a children's toy? A kite is also a word applied to certain birds of prey in a family called, I hope I get this right, Accipitridae. Now, if you've ever seen a kite, that is the bird, it is something to behold. I saw one once as I was walking home on a cloudy day. I like hawks and falcons, so when I saw a bird circling high in the sky above me, I stopped to watch it. I thought I was looking at a falcon circling over its prey, but this bird circled, then stopped in midair for what must have been 30 seconds. It hovered motionless, its wings extended before descending. It floated in the air like a kite. Kites, the toy, have been around for thousands of years, and according to my modest research, referring to a certain classification of birds as kites dates back to Chaucer and the early 15th century. Now, in the song Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite, John Lennon inhabits a character, if you will. The person who stands in front of a tent to describe to a gathering crowd all the wonderful things they'll see if they only buy a ticket. The term for this person is a barker, for reasons that should be obvious. The barker, like a dog, is not interested in having a conversation, only in making noise to get your attention. The Hendersons will all be there, sings John, late of Pablo Fanca's fair. Now, Pablo Fank was a real person. Born William Darby in Norwich, England in 1810, he was an equestrian and a circus proprietor. In fact, according to Wikipedia, the first recorded non-Caucasian person to own a circus in Britain. A biographer of Pablo Fank speculates that his father was from India. So the name of the circus owner is not, as I thought up until, oh, about a month ago, Pablo Fankus. It's Pablo Fank. What we hear John singing is Pablo's surname as a possessive, Pablo Fankus Fair. And Mr. Kite is late of Pablo Fankus Fair, meaning that he used to belong to it or perform in it. You don't often hear people anymore say late of to mean formally of. For example, it would be correct to describe me as Tim Lemire, late of Ann Arbor, Michigan, since I lived in that town for several years in the 1990s. But to describe me as 
the late Tim Lemire of Ann Arbor, Michigan, would be doubly incorrect. <laughs> the original Mr. Kite poster advertises the acrobatic prowess of Mr. Henderson, saying, Over men and horses, through hoops, over garters, and lastly through a hogshead of real fire. In this branch of the profession, Mr. H challenges the world. Hoops and garters may inspire us to think of women's hoop skirts and stocking garters, but that's not the case with a circus. Mr. Kite would jump through hoops, a large ring, and over garters. So picture an acrobat standing upright on a trotting horse, and as the horse comes round the ring, two people on the ground suspend a string, a ribbon, or a banner in a horizontal line just at the height of the horse's head. The acrobat bends his or her knees, hops up over the string or ribbon, and the horse ducks under. The acrobat lands standing and on the horse and rider go round the ring. That suspended string or ribbon is the garter. There is, in fact, an English folk song called Leap Over the Garter, first published in 1791 in a volume called Celebrated Circus Tunes. One of the other entertaining spectacles promised in the production of Mr. Kite and Mr. Henderson is that Mr. H will demonstrate ten somersets he'll undertake on solid ground. Doesn't John mean somersault? A forward or backward flip displaying acrobatic agility? A somerset is an antiquated term for a somersault, the etymology of which, from French and Latin, means to jump over. By the way, the etymology of the word acrobat, from Greek, means to walk on tiptoe. But isn't there a Somerset, England? Yes, there is. Somerset is a county in southwest England, and it is not composed exclusively of acrobats. One theory about the origin of the name Somerset is that it means, in Old English, settlers by the sea lakes. So even though everyone today says somersaults, we will always use the outdated term when singing along with John Lennon. Somersets, it is. And then there's this word hogshead, a hogshead of real fire. A hogshead is a large cask or barrel. What does a barrel have to do with pigs? Well, first of all, let's get our terminology straight. A hog is a domestic pig weighing more than 120 pounds. In other words, a big pig. Let's say a pig as big as a barrel. The etymology on the word hogshead is uncertain. There doesn't appear to be a clearly defined reason why a cask or barrel is called a hogshead, unless someone thought that a hog, which is thick in the middle and small on both ends, looks like a barrel. So I'm guessing here that Mr. Kite will do a forward dive through a barrel set on fire. What a scene. At least one of the books in my Beatles library states that John Lennon told producer George Martin that he wanted a 
carnival-like atmosphere to this song. That sounds appropriate, but what John Shirley meant was a circus atmosphere. George Martin knew what John meant, but for the purposes of examining words, let's talk about the difference between a circus, a carnival, and a fair. Now, even if you've never been to the circus, you're surely familiar with the term three-ring circus. A ring in a circus is appropriate since the word circus is derived from the word circle. A circus is a performance in a tent, usually in the round, so that everyone can see. Circus performers are itinerant. They move from place to place. A carnival may share some elements of a circus, like acrobats, clowns, and animals. But a carnival is not primarily a performance. Its main focus is amusement rides, games of chance, and food vendors. A fair may have performers and rides and games, but a fair is usually sponsored by a town or a state, like the Iowa State Fair. And unlike a carnival, a fair includes contests and competitions for, say, the biggest livestock or the prize pumpkin. A fair tends to be more agricultural than a carnival. For the benefit of Mr. Kite, there will be a show tonight on trampolines. One of the ways in which John Lennon deviated from the original Mr. Kite poster is that on the poster, the advertised performing horse is named Xanthus, with no mention of the animal dancing. John chose the more alliterative and royal name Henry the Horse, endowing Henry with the ability to dance the waltz. Intentional or no, this is a very clever touch, both in terms of music and language. The line, and of course Henry the Horse dances the waltz, introduces six measures of a tempo change from 4-4 to 3-quarter time. Mr. Kite, the song, does not have a chorus or a refrain. It's just verse. So the waltz break gives the song a bridge for some variety. That's clever. Now in terms of language, it makes sense for Henry the Horse to dance the waltz as opposed to, I don't know, the foxtrot. The word waltz, as you might guess, is German and is taken from the verb waltzen, meaning to revolve. As we've already indicated, the word circus comes from the word circle, so it makes sense for a waltz, a revolving dance, to take place in a circle or a ring. Back to the original Mr. Kite poster, which reads, Messrs. Kite and Henderson, in announcing the following entertainments, assure the public that this night's production will be one of the most splendid ever produced in this town, having been some days in preparation. I consulted my compact Oxford English Dictionary, and I saw that the first citation of the use of the word splendid dates to 1624, used in reference to entertainment. The root of the word splendid in Latin is the verb splendere, which means to shine, to be bright. That root also gives us the word resplendent, meaning richly colorful and attractive, and the word splendor, as in the movie Splendor in the Grass, 
which takes its title from a line of poetry by British Romantic poet William Wordsworth. The verb splendere also gives us words that are fun to say, but are seldom said. Splendacious, splendidious, and splendiferous, all meaning very splendid, full of grandeur. I imagine a, a vain male professional wrestler would be described as splendacious. Now, if you have the vinyl album of Sgt. Pepper, you know that the lyrics to all the songs are printed on the back cover, something that was virtually unprecedented at the time. The one line that appears twice, once in the lyrics and again at the very end of the album credits is, a splendid time is guaranteed for all. Silly as it may sound to us in 2019, and for that matter to people in 1967, when the album Sgt. Pepper was first released, the song Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite was banned from broadcast on BBC Radio. Why? Well, reportedly, the BBC was concerned that references to Henry the Horse was code for heroin, making the song a celebration of drug use. Horse is indeed a slang term for heroin. People my age certainly remember a hit song from 1983 called White Horse. The group there was Laid Back and they had this synthesizer-driven pop song with the refrain, Don't Ride the White Horse. Why horse? When drug testing of racehorses began in earnest in the United States in the 1930s, one of the things that racehorses were tested for was heroin. A very small amount could put the animal into overdrive. I'm guessing that another reason why the BBC banned being for the benefit of Mr. Kite is that when you take horse, or heroin, you become, as the phrase goes, high as a kite. You also become an addict and ruin your life, as John Lennon himself found out. His 1969 single, Cold Turkey, is about his attempt to rid himself of an addiction to heroin. Let's have a trivia question. Being for the Benefit of Mr. Kite is one of four Beatles songs whose title includes an exclamation point. What are the other three? Before we answer that, my name is Tim Lemire. You can find episodes of my podcast, The Beatles English, on Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to and download each episode from my website at timlemire.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That helps other Beatle people to find it. So the answer to the trivia question, the other Beatles songs whose titles contain an exclamation point are Help! Exclamation point, oh! Exclamation point, Darling! and Kansas City slash Hey 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 Hey! Exclamation point. Well, I hope you have had a splendid time listening to this podcast. I'm very happy to be able to spend time with you and to talk about my favorite band and my love of words and the English language. Please tune in again next time.
My name is Tim Lemire, and this is The Beatles English. <laughs>